0: This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 112 of the Dressage Radio Show, brought to you by Equestrian Collections and Kentucky Performance Products. Hello, I'm Chris Stafford. Welcome back to the Dressage Radio Show for another fun episode, which this week I have a really special guest this week who she doesn't know what she's letting herself in for, but she's actually going to become one of our new co-hosts here on the Dressage Radio Show. I'm delighted to welcome JJ Tate. JJ, lovely to have you on the show.
1: Thank you so much, Chris, for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Well, if anybody follows the Eventing Radio Show, they will have heard you recently when we were joined by Silver Martin talking about the the uh, rise and rise of dressage in the sport of eventing because you actually cross over both fields, don't you?
1: Yes, yes. I have um, one especially successful student named Alison Springer who's been working with me um, for probably almost about eight years now and it's been really exciting to see her and her top horse, Arthur, you know, really come together and just really be talented and and having those things really come together for them. It's been really exciting.
0: Well, we've got lots to talk about this week, JJ, and I thought this would be an opportunity to introduce you to the dressage radio show audience which as you know is all over the world and uh, you know some people may not have been to the states and heard about you yet so let's spend <laughs> a little time doing that talking about how you got to where you are and then we'll take a short commercial break and then after that um we do have an interesting topic and it was a question from one of our listeners down under which we'll come to shortly but uh, as i said let's be, let's begin with your background jj because you you know you've been there done it haven't you
1: I have um I'm 33 and I'm originally from Fort Atkinson Wisconsin which is a very very small town in the southeastern corner of Wisconsin so I'm a midwestern girl and I started riding when I was 7 and I specialized in dressage when I turned 9. It was just always something that really spoke to me about the partnership that you feel when you ride a horse uh, and I just my horse is my best friend growing up. I just adored horses and was, uh, and have been obsessed <laughs> since a very very young age and just dressage really just was so fascinating to me that you could really think things and have the horse something that big that he would just do what you would ask him to do it just really was amazing to me and I've just been obsessed uh, ever since then.
0: So you were so the typical, typical horse mad girl weren't you?
1: Oh, oh my God! Oh, <laughs> as many hours in the barn as I possibly could, you know. And for whatever reason, I thought you know cleaning stalls was fun too. <laughs> it was just anything I could do. That if the vet was there, if I could help clean stalls or get horses, you know, run young horses in the in the curries. I mean, it was anything. Any horse I could ride, anything I could sit on. You know, my, we. All, I always laugh and I'm like, you know, I used to ask my trainer, "I'll ride anything that won't buck me off." And then wait a minute. Um, I think I did ride everything, including the ones that would buck me off.
0: <laughs> <laughs> did, you do, I, did you do pony club, JJ? I did at a
1: very, very small amount. My My first horse was a saddlebred, so he was not that much into the jumping. So I did um, very, very low pony club and uh, learned to jump then later on a different horse. But it was always a dressage that really just uh, kept my interest. And, uh, you know, I just became really obsessed with that. So, um, I had a terrific trainer growing up named Gail Town, who was wonderful and read all the great classic books and made me ride without stirrups and, you know, just a terrific, basic foundation as well as was a second family to me. Um, and she had uh, started to bring in Charles Bacomcy probably when I was about 11. Uh, so, I started riding with Charles when I was, you know, very, very young and he's been a huge instrumental part of my life. And he's, you know, an author of five terrific books and has been a judge and is an amazing clinician and he trains all over the world and I've been riding with him for over 20 years and he's always sort of my subconscious in my head. Like it's always, what would Charles do? What would How would he deal with this problem? <laughs> it's just been a huge influence for me. So I've always considered him my mentor. And... After high school, I uh, Charles de Comfie organized it for me to go to Hungary, to Budapest, Hungary, um, to train with Yula Dalos. And first, I just wanted to go to Europe. I wrote letters to everybody. I was thinking Germany. I just saw where I want to go. And you know, he, Charles de Comfie comes back and he was like, "Well, you can either go to this, you know, Arthur Cota's at the Spanish Riding School, um, which would be this private farm because the Spanish Riding School doesn't really take women." So he'd be at his private farm or Eula dollars from Hungary. And I was like, well, I don't know, whatever you think would be the best. And so Charles definitely thought Eula would have been the most uh, beneficial for me at that time because he, you know, would be able to take me to more competitions and uh, was at home more. He had a daughter my age. And so for about three years, I I went first over with two young rider horses and in seven months, they both knew the whole Grand Prix. It was like the most amazing experience I have ever had. And every, there was no stress. And, uh, Eula is just an incredible horse trainer and an incredible teacher. And, um, he's been a real big influence in my life as well. So I went then home for a few months and sold one horse and leased out the other. And I went back with a young horse and stayed there for another two years to, um, Really, just get completely absorbed into the European experience. So, that let the,
0: me ask you about your family here, JJ. Because what, you said you got the book pretty early on. Did you come from a horsey background, or so do you have any siblings, any parental influence? Not,
1: not at all. <laughs> it's completely just in my blood. My uh, uh, my dad is a terrific coach, but he would coach you know football and basketball. So he was sort of always like my my sports. Psychologist and my sports psychologist uh, growing up, and he was. I played basketball as well and was into sports and things, but riding was always my number one thing. And my mom got involved with horses only because I was like crazy about it. So she became, you know, the good old, you know, horse show mom and never driven the horse trailer before. And here we are going to a horse show. <laughs> I'm in the front seat having a great time. Can't wait. I'm all excited. And she's like, oh my God, I'm driving this car, this truck and trailer. What am I doing? You know? (laughs) And, um, I have two older sisters, um, none of which had any interest in anything, but we were a family where, you know, we all learned to play musical instruments. We all, you know, got to take dance classes. And so this was sort of something that my older sister tried and, Quickly gave up, and my middle sister is totally allergic to horses, and I was like begging for, like, please let me ride horses. <laughs> so the rest of history, so to say.
0: <laughs> so the musical influence there, I'm interested, you know, because a lot of uh, riders I talk to JJ have. An interest in music, it gives them a, a rhythm, and, and I'm sure you must be sensitive to this too, the rhythm that you get from music, and especially when, you're of course, creating a, a musical freestyle program as well, it yeah. helps to have that sense of rhythm in your head, which yeah. is it's just in your head, right, when you're riding? Yes,
1: yes absolutely, yeah. I mean, there was a time uh, in my riding that my first trainer also would just, like, you know, get a metronome and just put it around my neck. And she's like, you need to feel this, that you can create this and be able to have the horse go in this rhythm. And, you know, that was also, I just thought it was a great um, opportunity growing up to have not only play an instrument, but also dance as well as into the horses. I think that's definitely part of you know, something that I definitely focus on when I teach. That it's all got to be done inside the rhythm so that the horse can be kept in nice balance. And I think, you know, my music background definitely helps for sure.
0: So, uh, Okay, so now I'm going to ask you what your musical taste is now. What do you listen to on your <laughs> iPhone?
1: Well, I like anything from uh, dance music. I love dancing. Um, I do also like country music. So anything I like you know a little classical music but i definitely love um something with a steady beat and that you can kind of you know get dancing to i love i love dancing so
0: <laughs> so, so uh, you're creating think, a freestyle then is a whole lot of fun for you
1: yes yes i i love freestyles and um i just think that's such a fun expression that you can kind of pick your own music and really Try and bring to the audience, you know, your relationship with your horse and the energy that you have together. And I just, I love musical freestyles and, you know, doing public exhibitions. I just think dressage is so beautiful. And if people can get a little bit more interested in it um, by having the music involved, I just think that's great.
0: So I could see, see you on the touchline there when Debbie was coming down the center line to uh, respect at the World Cup no. finals when she was really trying to get the crowd oh behind God. her. I could see you. I totally be-
1: started to cry.
0: Yeah. it was amazing. It was amazing. Like I,
1: you know, it, I've been around this for a long time, and my mom and I always travel to the big horse shows. You know, we've been to the Olympics. We've been to Sydney. You know, we've gone to the World Equestrian Games. Like I've always, my mom and I, it's always like our special trip together to re-inspire you know and i'm like yes i want to ride on the team and that's i want to be like those people and those horses are incredible and you know that i was moved to tears with that debbie and brentina that was amazing and it was just you got i'm still i'm getting the, the goosebumps about it now it was such a their relationship together and then that music and that much energy it was just such a moment I'll i'll never forget
0: I know it was, it was a lot of fun, and it was um, uh, as you say, combining all those loves—the music and the horses—and uh, getting the beat going yeah. couldn't be better. Okay, well, let's go back to your story. Then you went over to to Europe for a second time. You said, "Yep, to the
1: same place." I went back to Eula, um, and at that time, I had brought a young horse with me. And uh, eventually, after a few months, uh, purchased a Grand Prix horse there that could really, you know, I sort of thought, you know, here's this schoolmaster and you know, later we found out he wasn't, he was not the best schoolmaster because he needed a little training as well, but I think that's almost every case with the schoolmaster. Um, But I had a young horse, and then we were able to purchase this Grand Prix horse that I thought, here's the best education, you know, and, you know, it's my, it's during my apprenticeship, and here's a horse that I can learn from with a great teacher under my saddle and a great teacher on the ground. It was just going to be just a terrific uh, opportunity. So, that horse, I was able to compete you know, all over Europe in the small tour. And then I eventually, uh, when I turned 21 uh, and I was still in Europe, I was able to do uh, my first Grand Prix over there. So that was really exciting to be so young and in Europe and have a wonderful horse that could kind of show me the ropes a little bit. So that was
0: great. So, th- so, then, then, so then what happened? I mean, did you, did you ever want to come back to the States? What, what, what encouraged you to turn around and come back home?
1: Um, I still wanted to do, do young riders. Um, I had done young riders uh, 96 and 97 on like my older horse, who you know wasn't very competitive. But I just, I just thought it was such a terrific program, and I still, you know, I have a you know terrific young rider now named Katie Foster, who, um, you know, it's just funded to still be in the program even as I'm getting older now to give back to the youth. I love it. So when I was you know, my last year of Young Riders, I was in Europe, and, you know, the summer was coming, and I thought, I really want to come home and and do one more Young Rider Championships, and so uh, we came back, and our team won the Team Silver for Region 2, which was great, Um, but I had some mistakes, so I ended up, I think, ninth uh, individually, so that was a big disappointment, but that year, I ended up being the top young rider in Grand Prix, so that was sort of kind of exciting, even though I just wanted an individual medal so badly yeah. <laughs> at the Young Rider Championships. But, um, you know, being being the top young rider at Grand Prix was, was a huge um, success, too, and I, looking back, that it made me also very proud.
0: Well, I think another, I, another time that made you very, very proud was when you represented the States at the World Breeding Championships for Young Dressage Horses oh, yes. in Verden. I mean, that is it, isn't it, if you're into, you know, that's, yes. yeah. That was so, so special.
1: Um, and that was a horse I had had since he was three. So that was just, you know, really special. that it was a horse that you know, we found as a r- real youngster, and we just believed in him, and he was just such a terrific, his name is Donner Moose. Um, his bar name is Petrie, and he' just was a terrific terrific course and to be able to share that amazing experience of you know really truly representing your country and i mean i I did show in Europe and I was at the big shows and um but really being like selected to represent your country was just really moving for me and and special and I just thought i this is this is everything I wanted to be, and I am just so. Thrilled to be there and to be part of it, and the energy, the energy in Europe, uh, and I—we're starting to get it more in the United States. Just the appreciation of of terrific horses and, and terrific riding—it's just fun to be a part of that environment. And I just—it fed my fire even more. That I'm like I just want to keep doing it. I love you know the international ring. I love being challenged to ride at your top top level. And I just, you know, being there with these, riding alongside these people, I've just sat on the sidelines and been awestruck by. It was just really fun to, you know, actually be in the warm-up arena with these people. So that was just such a huge thrill, and I'm really grateful and thankful for that horse for giving me that.
0: And you always hope some of that gold dust will rub off on you, don't you, when you're in that company?
1: Oh, yeah. You can't help but get better. I mean, the standard is just so high and you just everywhere you look is, is just great riding and great horses. And, and even if it's, you know, your horse can't be exactly like someone else's horse, but to just look at someone that's really flowing and, and, and supple and you can kind of feel that energy in your eye and then sort of take it to your own horse and be like, I want to feel more of that in my own riding or wow, look at the posture of that. Or look at those, uh, like whenever I watch Stefan ride, who have been lucky enough to start riding with on a regular basis. I mean, just every time, you know, he invites us over to watch him school Ravel when it comes to Florida for the masters, it's just inspiring to be like, I need to get my hands like that. (laughs) 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 And just, you know, being around good riding just promotes good riding. So you can't, can't get enough
0: of that. Well, <laughs> along the way, you, uh, we should mention that you've picked up the U.S. Dressage Federation's bronze, silver and gold medals. You've uh, competed 11 what? horses at F- FEI now. So, I mean, you've, you've been out there, as I said earlier, been there, done that. And, uh, and tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. I know you do a lot of clinics, a lot of teaching. Where is your operation now where you base yourself as a coach?
1: I I live in uh, Chesapeake City, Maryland, and I run my business Team Tate Dressage. I run my business out of River Edge West, which is across the street from Scott and Suzanne Hassler, who run River Edge, Maine. And so a couple years ago, Scott had invited me up here to kind of, you know, be closer to the training and be sort of part of their umbrella, you know, up here of, of also, you know, great riding And it was just been such a terrific experience. Scott and Suzanne are just amazing people and, you know, great riders and trainers. And it's just been such a fun thing to be able to um, be a part of. And, you know, coming from after I was in Europe, I had gone back to Wisconsin and I'd opened up a a business, a training business there uh, with my mom and Greta and Van Pell who she Greta, was also a trainer. So we did that for seven years and it was wonderful. It was a terrific place and terrific clients, a lot of whom I still teach to this day. And from there, you know, I, I sort of would go down to Florida and I trained a lot with Odette Shimoni down in Florida. And I just got hungry again. I'm like, I really just want to again do this at the top sport. And um, I went to the Robert Dover's um, search for the next American dressage star. <laughs> it was a reality television show, which I took part in and, I ended up being the runner-up, but that was really powerful for me because at the end, you know, Robert Dover, who's been there, done that, been to the Olympics, you know, five times, uh, you know, said to me, you know, you're already on your way. You're, You're doing what you need to do, and I believe in you, and that was enough right there to inspire me so much to stop talking about going to the Olympics, and I needed to start making actions to do it. So then... That was the summer that I moved out east for the first time, and that was about five summers ago. So that's how I originally had gotten to the east coast. And then for two years, I was at Sherry Glickman's farm down near Frederick, Maryland. And then from there, Scott had invited me up to River Edge West in Chesapeake City. So that's where we are today.
0: And what horses do you have in training right now, JJ? Right now I have a few very
1: special horses. I have one um, eight-year-old Oldenburg stallion named Rosal. He's probably one of the most talented horses I have ever sat on and ridden. Um, he's just a fantastic mover and has a really great technique. He's just been a little bit um, slow in his development, I think, because he just had so much movement. Sometimes it was a little hard for him to kind of get himself organized, but he's a real um, shining star, I think, for the future. And then I have another eight-year-old named Fabergé, who I've been riding for, Elizabeth Guarisco-Wolf, one of my clients and sponsors from Middleburg, Virginia. We winter at her facility down in Wellington, Florida, and he's just a terrific, it's a florist on horse, and he is just incredible. Right now, uh, he's ranked, I think, third for the Developing Horse Championships, and two years ago, as a six-year-old, he was a reserve national champion, so He's just been a real special up-and-comer that we sort of, you know, purchased for Elizabeth and sort of, you know, kind of looked at each other like, he's he's really special. So, um, she's allowed me to ride him and train him and just to see, you know, where he can go. So, that's been really exciting. And then, you know, there's just a a barn full. I think we've got about uh, 15 or 16 horses at the moment, all of, you know, various ages and different levels and a couple of sale horses, but... Those are the few uh, real, real special
0: ones. Terrific. Well, you keep plenty busy, don't you? So you're going to find some time to come on the show regularly here with me and help me co-host this show.
1: Yeah, that would be great. I would love it. I would love it.
0: All right. Well, we're going to talk about... um what exactly a competitive dressage horse is here in just a moment but before we do I want to remind you about one of our loyal sponsors here and that's KPP Kentucky Performance Products. It's that time of year when your horse will be sweating more and needs some help in replenishing fluids KPP offers a solution with Summer Games Electrolyte. It was originally created for horses competing at the Olympic Games and is a formulation that's a combination of minerals similar to the levels typically lost in sweat. Summer Games is a concentrated electrolyte that contains minimal sugar and supports normal hydration. Plus, it's palatable and easy to feed. So help your horse beat the heat with Summer Games Electrolyte. And you can find out more about this and all of the KPP products by visiting kppusa.com or you can call 1-800-772-1988. And you can learn much, much more about horse nutrition and interact with the KPP experts on their Facebook fan page. KPP is a participating retailer of the Horse World Gives Back campaign. Well, as I said, I'm with my new soon-to-be co-host here on the Dressage Radio Show, JJ Tate, Jessica Jo Tate. So you, you just abbreviated it for convenience, did you, JJ? Yes, yes.
1: Sometimes it's just J- JJ, whatever.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, wonderful. Sometimes
1: if you call me Jessica, I won't answer because it just sounds so strange. I know. It's always, from the beginning, been J or JJ, so it's just kind of stuck.
0: That's what happens, doesn't it? I I can't imagine being called Christine. If anybody calls me Christine now, I think, oh, they must not know me, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) All right, well, we're going to kick off this week, as I said, introducing you to our audience but also talking about a topic that uh, was sent in to us by one of our regular listeners here on the show Benjamin Benjamin Featherstone he's down in Sydney and he often writes to us Benjamin, hi, it's lovely to have you as a regular listener to the show and you've always got some great ideas that we should be talking about here And this idea, uh, as I said, Benjamin sent in, and he says, what exactly is a competitive dressage horse? I.e., as you know, I believe in dressage for every horse, but also understand that the qualities of suppleness, natural gaits, balance, etc., are part of the judging. It isn't just an obedience class. A horse with an accurate, correct test isn't going to win over a horse who who also has great gaits, etc. It's a good question, isn't it, JJ, because there's so many dimensions to a competitive dressage horse
1: yes i think it's a great question and you know there's just so many different components that go into having a successful test and we always have to remember too that it's not always the test score that comes back it's many times how we feel about the test there's been many a tests i've ridden that I felt, wow, you know, that was so much better. The horse is so much balanced, and I get the test score, and I'm like, oh, it's lower than I lower than my last one. And so I think it's also important to always, you know, find your own successes and your own standard of of improvement, and that it's a real competition really against yourself and and, and riding a really great test. But it is very true, and I totally believe that dressage is for all horses of any breed of any sport. You know, to just get better balance and, and uh, to be able to carry themselves is much better. But there are the horses out there that, uh, you know, have really fantastic gaits that will win over a, you know, nicely correct test just because the horse has bigger gates. But I always tell my students that have, you know, not the Olympic mover that it's important for them to, you know, there's so many aspects of technically riding through a good corner or the right angle Uh, for the shoulder in, and that you have to sometimes break the test down in certain places that you can make up for not having a 10 for an extended trot. And I think when we look at what makes the most successful kind of competitive dressage horse is that something that has, you know, very correct, um, expressive gait that is well balanced and very consistent. In the throughness and acceptance of the bit, and basically uh, really swings to the test in a really um, easy way that everything, nothing looks stressed, everything looks like it comes easy and very natural to the horse. I think that's when it can have a beautiful flow and the horse and rider are sort of in the zone, so to say. I think that's really what, what takes the good performance up to an exceptional performance.
0: And I think how we cannot overemphasize the importance of establishing those foundation elements of, of you know, basic training, you know, from the very earliest, earliest stages, yeah. JJ. Isn't I? I mean, it's so important just to get those fundamentals so established and, and the rest will come. But it's like building blocks, isn't it? If you, if you don't build it solidly at the bottom, eventually it will crumble if you don't have it right. Yeah.
1: Yep, absolutely. And I do find, you know, in the beginning, I think it's important to maybe not have the fanciest horse. I think it's important to be able to have a horse that is really rideable for you and it really suits your abilities and your own goals because there are so many elements that really have nothing to do with fancy movement because it does, everything comes back to basics. And being able to aid the horse correctly and have the horse listen correctly and react correctly you know, again, right in a good corner, the correct size circle. Um, What is frustrating sometimes is that, you know, we can have a very normal mover and it puts in a very accurate test. And, you know, you have this big, huge, you know, fire-breathing dragon that's going to the Olympics and it's amazing and it's, you know, not that controllable. And so sometimes even the more consistent and, and classical and, and harmonious relationship with the, with the test, with a normal moving horse can actually place higher than the fantastic mover. Because with that fantastic mover, again, it comes down to rideability and the balance and the basic foundations of correct schooling that even the horse that has maybe an eight or nine or ten for gates still has to be Uh, recyclable and listen to the half halt and be on the rider's seat and be tentative to what's happening so that he can show himself uh, to a a great level, you know, and the scores these days are are really going high, I think, because the quality of riding is improving. And it's it's something for me that if you have a normal moving horse and you go out and you get, you know, a, a 68%, and that is, at that horse's highest level. Like, that is such a thrill. It doesn't matter if the horse that, you know, it's actually a disservice to the horse that has eights for gates and can get an eight on everything but is poorly ridden and wins the class with the 70 when it's really capable of a 76. You know, that's almost, you know, disheartening because that horse, our goal is to always ride each horse up to their own ability and that each horse can sort of accomplish their own Olympics and that not necessarily the actual real Olympics. That could be, you know, I have a really uh, downhill horse by nature, and through my uh, pragmatic work, it really developed suspension in the trot, and now it has a real medium trot. And even though the other horse may, by nature, have an eight, you know, it's it's a much more uh, exciting thing to be able to to make a horse much better through the dressage work.
0: And when we're looking at gates and we're looking how correct those gates are and a horse might be a very flashy mover, it's important not just to look at the front end and how the horse is coming out of his shoulders. There's the back end too, isn't there?
1: Yes. And first and foremost, don't ever buy the trot. You know, that's something we all get really excited about. Like, ooh, the horse is running in the paddock and you should have seen a trot. Oh, my gosh. You know, it was snorting and the tail was up and it's all excited and, they all look like they're going to the Olympics when you know something exciting happens, but the most important, for sure, is the walk and the canter. That you always want to make sure you have a very good rhythm, a very nice overtrack, um, very steady in the rhythm, and a beautiful open shoulder. But the really the activity of the hind leg uh, and the ability to overtrack in the walk is is really great. And the canter also has to be. You know, you're just going to be so much farther ahead if you can get, you know, a beautifully uphill balanced canter with a very, again, pure, pure gait, it has to be really true in the sweet beat of the canter and a nice moment of suspension and and feel that that way the horse's pelvis moves in the canter is very much related to the collection down the road. So you want to also take a look at that in the canter as well. The trot, you have to sometimes, even with some of the best horses, have a little bit imagination about where that could go. It's amazing, you know, how a horse trots as a three-year-old and then as it starts to develop and the collection really builds the strength of the haunches, it's amazing what that trot can really turn into in the future. And it's important also to not get too excited about what the legs do when they're off the ground. Like... Uh, If you watch a horse's hind legs, it's not all the time that the hock, you know, is so high up off the ground. You want to also take a look at what happens when the leg lands on the ground. Does that horse subtly bend through its joints? You know, not only the, the fetlock joint, but the hock and the stifle and the hip, that ability to lower the croup and sort of seated, you know, get seated in the hind legs is really something that can even overtake not the best shoulder if you can really uh, see an ability in the horse to sit behind it's amazing what could happen to the shoulders from a good hind leg
0: and we also hear about obviously how confirmation will influence a good pf or uh, that that obviously is an important aspect when you're taking the horse up to that level
1: yeah i mean i think one of the biggest things i look for um, is sort of body harmony. It really, for me, I've had a lot of horses that haven't been the perfect um, epitome of perfect confirmation. And it's really, I like to look a lot more at the function. Uh, one of my first uh, top FEI horses had these hind legs that were as straight as posts. So you know, who just would laugh. Like, he has hind legs like a fence post. And this horse <laughs> could piaf like you could not believe And it was amazing because when in action, he had such a great ability to kind of crouch behind and stay active that he sort of made up a little bit for for the confirmation. Um, Not that you don't want to start, you know, below, you know, start negative, like, oh, it's downhill and out behind and all these things. You want to look for a nice uphill balance. But I do just like to also feel that there's a nice, harmonious connection throughout the horse, and, and mostly when he's in motion. You know, is he balanced, and does he sort of take care of, of, you know, staying in balance in the motion? And um, I really like to look for that, too, not just uh, beautiful lines, because sometimes you can have the horse with the most perfect confirmation, and it just is meant to be a briar horse <laughs> and not really a competitive horse. So um, I like to look for I'm as well. I'm sure
0: Briars would be delighted to hear that.
1: I have a collection of them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well of course Barbie. you do. You were, <laughs> yeah, you were the horse mad teenager. Of course you have all the <laughs> <Exactly>. Briar horses. <laughs> exactly. And Barbie Barbie
1: never rode well. She always had to ride so so <laughs>
0: crooked. <laughs> all right, come clean. How many how many Briar horses do you have?
1: Oh God, probably at least twenty. Do you really? I was I was crazy about it, yep. Um, And one day I'll have them all lined up in my office because I just played with them and, oh, that was all I did. Uh, (laughs) I wasn't riding, (laughs) that's what I was doing.
0: Were they all made (laughs) to do
1: dressage? Yes. (laughs) No, actually a few (laughs) of them did jump.
0: (laughs) <laughs> all right well i think you've addressed that uh, very well jj and, and there are so many aspects to it of course and i think w- what would be fun is to have you come back on with scott hasler of course as you mentioned a great friend of yours and someone who well who knows the the young horse business the breeding young horse business better than scott wouldn't it be fun to have him on and talk about uh, bloodlines and what to look for in that confirmation at an early age too
1: Yes, for sure. Scott's been a coach of mine for the last 4 years and been really instrumental in my success at the at Fairden and at the World Championships for young horses and um just bringing along some of my other horses, you know, he coached me at the at the National uh Developing Horse and Young Horse Championships. He's just been terrific uh as an inspiration as well as a terrific eye on the ground and, you know, every year we have um uh, the Young Dressage Horse Trainer Symposium. We, this is always such a hot topic of confirmation versus function versus what do you look for? And um, you know, if you have a horse with a big heart uh, and and the willingness to do it, that can sometimes also make up for so much talent-wise.
0: Yeah, and let's not forget temperament as well. They've got to want to do the job and have the work ethic, haven't they?
1: Absolutely, and and the you know having a little bit of fun in the learning. You know, I just have a really interesting young five-year-old coming up, uh, Royal Prince Gelding, and he's so attuned to the rider and wants to please. And it's just such a refreshing feeling to have such an excited student to, to what do you want me to do next? And that's, that's just an awesome feeling. And, And whatever kind of package that comes in, that's just always such a great feeling for the rider to have a horse so willing and interested in the work and excited about, you know, doing a good job.
0: That's always so much fun. Wonderful. Well, I look forward to talking about more of that when you come back. And we're also going to, you know, address the, the age-old classical versus modern dressage theory as well because I know you're a great proponent. As you said, you, you've trained with Charles de Comfy and, and a lot of the other great European masters and, and, and that importance of of reinforcing the classical dressage. So we'll, we'll talk about that and, and any other ideas you've come up with, JJ. You, you know that you've signed yourself up now.
1: <laughs> That's great. I can't wait. I've already got my wheels turned about the. Classical
0: versus competitive. There you go. All right, wonderful. Well, I hope that's been helpful, Benjamin. And if any of you have any questions um, that you'd like us to address here on the Dressage Radio Show, just drop me a note, chris at horseradionetwork.com. And, uh, of course, if you have any questions specifically for JJ as well, I'll make sure she gets those, and uh, we'll address them here on the show. Well, that uh, just about wraps it up. Uh, We've got one other item coming up just after this uh, commercial intel and uh, and then JJ and I will talk about what we're going to do next here on the show before we leave you this week. And as I said, our commercial interlude here is important in that these sponsors make this show possible. And uh, Equestrian Collections is one of those very valued sponsors here on the Horse Radio Network. And did you know that you can earn points for yourself and your riding or- riding organization of your choice if you visit uh, Equestrian Collections and their Reward program. It's a valued. They value customers and support the equestrian community. For every dollar you spend at equestriancollections.com, you will earn one point. And each time you accumulate 500 points, you'll receive a $25 rewards gift certificate, redeemable, of course, at equestriancollections.com. And you can collect rewards for your horse to celebrate his special birthday with a $10 rewards certificate that's emailed to you during the bu- month of his birthday and redeemable at Equestrian Collections. Plus, you can find all of your favourite dressage brands like Rump, International, Carrots, Fitz and Good Rider all at EquestrianCollections.com which has everything dressage for both horse and rider. So check them all out, EquestrianCollections.com. Equestrian Collections is a participating retailer of the Horse World Gives Back campaign. Well, we're coming now to uh, the regular segment I started here a few weeks ago and actually on all my shows, which I hope you're enjoying, and it's called Words of Wisdom. In the Days of Our Ancestors No animal, unless it be the hound or the dog, has inspired so much affection or sympathy throughout the ages as the horse. For many centuries it provided the sole mode of transport and locomotion, and even in these days of mechanisation, it still holds its own on turf, in field, and on the polo ground. It is fairly certain that no other animal has been written about so much as the horse from the time of Xenophon, himself a practical horseman of deep wisdom, down to Geoffrey Brook of our own day. Nor has any other animal provided artists of various degrees of merit with so much material for their interpretation of the horse's beauty and the part it played, and still does, in the daily lives of the people. For of all things beautiful in this world, to stand out cameo-like, a woman in all the blush of her ripening beauty and a horse in all the glory of condition and free striding action. And further, the horse fits in so well with the typical English character that there is little reason to expound this belief further. One might, with advantage, quote author after author and trace the evolution of the horse from the time when it was no higher than a fox through medieval days in war and sport to the present time but this has been done so often with voluminous extracts from Julius Caesar, the venerable Bede and Camden, that it would only prove to be a repetition of well-known facts, many of which have been worn thin by various authors. More to the point is the endeavour of tracing the history of the modern saddle horse and the art of equitation to discover the types of horses our forefathers used. Another point in dealing with this historical side of the horse strikes one when engaged in research that it is how badly our ancestors treated their horses and how curious their ideas of horsemanship and stable management were. This extract is taken from Riding and Horsemanship by William Fawcett, published by Adam and Charles Black in 1935. Well, I'm back with uh, JJ, my guest this week, who actually has been, uh, obviously, as you said, you were avid reader of ev- all that classical equitation. You probably enjoy these words of wisdom from the old masters. Uh, JJ, do, do you still harp back to the old books?
1: Oh, yes. I I just love reading and getting inspired by you know, just all the old masters. And I actually just had uh, a Way to Perfect Horsemanship from Udo Berger. I just had that on my desk the other day. And it's just it's just wonderful to know that, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And there's been masters before us that have figured a lot of these problems out already. And uh, it's just wonderful to be able to have those books and be able to look back and see, you know, how to work through an issue or how they did it and just be inspired in general about the right way to train horses.
0: Well, they're certainly inspirational. And and while you're here, JJ, I asked um, a couple of weeks ago, I asked on the show, if anybody knew where it originated, who decided uh, that we should measure a horse by hand? Do you know who did that? If you can answer the question here, write into me. And if JJ can answer... Then I'll I'll let you all know right now. But if she can't give us the answer to this, I'm going to ask you again. Write into me, Chris dot com, and let me know, or post it on our Facebook fan page. And while JJ's scratching her head, thinking, "Now who was it?
1: <laughs> I didn't know
0: there was going to be a puzzle at the end." of <laughs> There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I always put you on the spot as well, it was JJ. Yeah, I didn't realize there was a quiz. Oh yeah, we have um, a quiz. I- we often have a quiz here. <laughs> <laughs> I do not know. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, if you don't know, then I'm going to keep our listeners in suspense. So drop me an email, as I said, or post it on your on our Facebook fan page and let me know who it was. And it surprised me. As an avid reader of uh, Equitation and the Classics, I thought somewhere along the line I would have learnt this, and I only picked it up recently. So it was a surprise to me, uh, and it may be a surprise to our listeners. I won't keep them in suspense much longer, but once we get off the air, JJ, I'll let you know, okay? I'll put you out of your it's uh, <laughs> all right well that about wraps it up this week but before i go i want to remind you that i'm still looking for young reporters if you're out there and you're under 20 years of age and you'd like to re- come on the show and report on your competition anywhere in the world we'd love to hear from you just write up a little report and give me a call send me an email chris at com, and uh, we'll talk you through it we'd love to hear from you our website, of course, is dressageradio.com where you can listen to us there or you can go to iTunes and update the podcast every week. We also, of course, have our com website where you can support that campaign where we are raising money all year round to help those in need who have suffered from, of course, the very awful tragedies of um, the vagus of the weather around the country, a lot of displaced horses and so on. Well, all money raised via Horse World Gives Back. is being channeled to uh, those people in need through the Red Cross and through the uh, U.S. Equine Relief Fund that is operated by the Kentucky Horse Council. So don't forget to check those out. If you want to listen to the show on the go or any of the Horse Radio Network shows, you can go to Hallway Feeds app. We'll put a link on our website, as always, where you'll also find audible.com free trial if you listen to audio books. JJ, are you an audible book person? Do you listen to books on the go?
1: I do, I do. We, uh, every year, drive down to Florida and back up to Florida. So uh, we definitely would would love that. Books on tape are
0: terrific. A lot of fun. All right, don't forget to check that out. It's a free trial offer for listeners of com, And also, you can do some shopping at Amazon while you're on the website, too. Don't forget, we're on Twitter at Horse Radio, and my Twitter name is Chris E. Stafford. We tweet away here. Are you a tweet? Are you a Twitter? I know you have your own website, which we'll put a link to, of course, JJ. But do you tweet yet? Are you into that?
1: I, you know, I started it, and then I got into Facebook, <laughs> so ah. it became a little bit that Facebook sort of took over with my with my updates on Facebook. But now I have uh, something new on my iPhone, which is the Hootsuite, which I can update both my Twitter account and my and my Facebook account as well.
0: So uh, what do we look for then on Twitter? What's your Twitter name?
1: Uh, Jessica Jo Tate. Jessica And jo- on Facebook, it's also Jessica Jo Tate. And then I also have a Team Tate dressage page.
0: Wonderful. Well, we'll put links to all of those here on our show notes as, as always. And don't forget, if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. So send those over to me. Chris at com. Well, JJ, this has been fun. Thank you for joining us this week. When are you going to come back and, and what are you going to talk about next? Are you going to bring Scott with you?
1: I would love to bring Scott with me. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, it's getting pretty hot here in the afternoon. So the afternoons are pretty are pretty open around 2, 3, uh, 3 p.m. <laughs> so I can come back um, whenever I'm invited and, uh, would love to talk about anything from young horses to uh, how to teach or you know classical versus competitive riding. Um, I I love a good discussion about anything
0: horse related. Right. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, that's easy then. And we'll uh, we'll save you from the summer heat. Then we'll get you indoors to come back on the show here a few times this summer. We'd love to love to catch up with you again, and we will try and get Scott on and talk about some of those issues that you mentioned. All right. Well, thanks, JJ. Thank you. Enjoy. Thank you so much, Chris. Yeah, well, great to have you, and uh, enjoy the, the rest of the of July. We'll, we'll catch up with you in, in August. I will, of course, be back here same time, same place next week. So until then, thank you all for listening.